Well, it's just a thrill to me to be beginning a whole new series of conversations that will go on for the next couple of weeks about one of the most important topics in our life. And I want to especially give a shout out to you who are connecting with us in this message in all of our various venues here at Christ Church. We're thrilled to have you part of this conversation. I think that if there is any word in the English language that one can say is powerfully, emotionally, decisively charged, it is that word, home. What comes to mind? What kicks up in you? when you hear that. For me, I know the vision becomes one of gatherings of my family's life over many, many years, of bursting through the doors on Christmas morning, of sitting around the Thanksgiving table, of playing board games, of going on car trips. I think of the times that my family uh, spends now uh, when we're together around the holidays and the boys are home from school and from work and we're lounging around, the dogs by the fire, and it's messy, it's crazy, it's loud, people are coming and going, but it's home. For even those of us that don't have those particular associations with the word, and I need to recognize that for some people, that word carries some tough connotations, some negative experiences, some ambivalent kinds of feelings. Even for folks like that, and a lot of us are like that, there still remains in our mind's eye and in our heart someplace some sense of what home ought to be. So what is home? What is this really about? What is this ideal at the core uh, fundamentally all about? I was reading recently an article in uh, Psychology Today, one of the leading magazines in the psychological field, and they defined home as a source of security and direction a source of security and direction. It is the place, I quote the article, where you feel in control and properly oriented in time and space. It enables you to find yourself, your identity again, and feel a sense of security and a a direction in life that you need. How many of us know that experience of coming home at the end of an exhausting day and going, oh, I'm home. I made it. It's like I made it to home plate. (laughs) I had to slide, but I'm here now. Or or how many of us can think of experiences in life where we found ourselves lost or a bit confused. We've been through a tough patch in our lives, and we found our hearts drawn back towards that place of beginnings in our life, towards that group of people that knew us and could perhaps stand with us in this stuff and give us the direction that we needed. And like the prodigal son in the parable that Jesus tells, Wherever we are, we find our heart turning towards home. The poet Robert Frost once wrote humorously, home is the place that when you have to go there, they have to take you in. (laughs) Now that may not be entirely so, that they have to take you in, but thankfully most of the time they do take you in. Um, In that sense, home is also a gracious refuge for us. It's that place that we know we can go and hope that we will be warmly welcomed and probably will. For lots of people, home involves a physical uh, location, a physical house, a traditional nuclear family. That's the association that comes to mind for me so often when I think of the word. But I recognize it does not have to. 
that home is larger than even that particular construct. When Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz famously recites, there is no place like home, right? Uh, and says it three times, uh, it is to a circle of loving nurture made up of Auntie M and Uncle Henry and some affable farmhands that she longs to return. There isn't even a house she can go back to. It was taken away by a tornado. It's the circle of love that she's drawn back towards and longs to be in the middle of. I remember when I uh, moved to California as a a young man in um, my 20s, and I, and I really had no um, home in the traditional sense. I'd left behind everything that I knew of 3,000 miles away. I remember sitting the first night in this house that I was going to live in that wasn't even close to a home for me, and I was just putting together the first chair so I have something to sit on. And I was thinking to myself, what did I do? How did I wind up so far from home? And I also remember the the, the family, the young family that, that took me in and made sure that I, I had a home and they would invite me over on Sunday nights to have dinner with them and, and, and gradually that sense of alienation and lostness melted away from me. I had the same experience when I lived in Northern Ireland uh, where I was drawn into a community of people that loved me and cared for me and, and stood with me during uh, unsettling times. Um, Though we're very different as human beings, my wife and I, Amy and I, we have managed to make a home together. Uh, we've managed to make a home for our boys that is a place to which they are eager to, to return and perhaps will replicate in their own way and, and, and fashion someday as they start families of their own. I found an experience of home in my life in a variety of, of small group fellowships I've been part of where I gather with a small group of other people to study God's word and to pray and to listen to each other's stories and to support and encourage each other in any way that we can. And within this community of faith, I have found a spiritual home like I've never known before, where I feel like I've just been able to grow and, and learn and become more of who I was intended to be. I've slowly learned the lesson that home is more than a genetic address. It's more than a, a physical, uh, geographical address. Home is where the heart is at rest. And that logo we've given you of, of this home sim symbol is, is a representation of these many meanings uh, of home in its deepest sense. So my question, the first question I have for you today is, where or who is home for you? Can you answer that for yourself? Who are you home to in the circle of your life? Jesus had um, a number of houses when he was growing up. Um, we know from the gospel according to Luke that his first place of residence was a, a barn in Bethlehem. Uh, we know that he moved from there to a um, likely a tent village in Egypt, where he and his family had fled as refugees, uh, retreating from the wrath of King Herod in Israel. We know that during his teenage and young adult years, uh, Jesus lived in some kind of a physical house, house in the town of Nazareth, which is a, a little village up in the north of Israel in the region called Galilee. And then we find out in the scriptures that by the time he hits about the age of 30, Jesus has given up on having a physical residence altogether. 
In fact, he says famously at one point, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Uh, he's got nothing like the traditional sense of, of a house or a home. This does not mean, however, that Jesus did not have or profoundly value a home. And this is really important to understand. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus was remarkably calm. Uh, his disciples were nervous. They had a sense that something very significant was going to happen. Jesus had been talking a lot about his coming suffering, about leaving them. They were extremely dislocated and disoriented because he had been their home, and now it was sounding like he was going to be swept away as in a tornado of some kind they couldn't understand. But Jesus was chill. He was remarkably poised and calm. The cross was looming up before him. You can only imagine what that would have been like to know you are going to go to a terrible, agonizing uh, death in a very short while. But Jesus draws on this crucial experience of his life to give him the clarity and the courage that he needs to face the coming hours. And this is what the scriptures say, literally. John's Gospel. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In other words, Jesus knew he had a home. He knew where his ultimate home was, his eternal home within the embrace of the Trinity and that he was going back to it again. It was an unimpeachable source of identity, direction, and security for Jesus. It was a place of gracious refuge to which he was going to return. It was a circle of loving nurture that was a continual encouragement to Christ as he lived out his life. In fact, if you go back and you reread the Gospels, just pay attention to how many times as Jesus is in conversation, he references his father and his father's will and his father's character and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's presence and the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's comfort and its guidance. He's living always through his life within the circle of his eternal home. It's in his heart, it's all around him. The Trinity and the mansions of heaven is where Christ's heart was at rest. Not surprisingly, then, one of Jesus' last statements to his disciples was, I'm going back there. I am going back there to prepare a place for you. I want you, all of you, to have a home like I know and all of the blessings that come from that. D.L. Moody once said that if God actually revealed to us anything more than the scriptures give us, about the nature of that heavenly home, we would be so homesick that we would find it hard to continue to function and carry out our daily tasks here. Jesus wanted everybody to know this home and to have a home like that. And so following his resurrection, he says to his followers in a decisive comment you've heard before, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, all capacity to bring blessing and goodness and help and hope to this human race is in my hands. So I'm going to tell you how I am going to uh, cast that wave of blessing out from my hands. He says, I'm sending you to go 
and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them into the circle of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that I have commanded you. I want you to go out there and invite everybody home, says Jesus, and, and to teach them the ways of our family. What I want to underline for you today is that Jesus didn't just talk about home. He didn't just think about home. He didn't just have warm feelings about home. Jesus took the time to create the circle of home for other people. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus uh, in these, these, these paces or these rhythms of life that are so consistent that you, you, you just, after a while you begin to go, oh my gosh, this is, this is like a pattern for this man. He's, he's so frequently gathering small groups of people together for meals. He's pulling a few people off to the side to pray with him. He, he, he's giving instruction and correction and encouragement uh, purposefully to the people that he's with. We see Jesus taking people off on trips that stretch them, that take them out of their comfort zone and expose them to new ideas and to new people and circumstances. And then we watch him inviting them into reflection about that. What did that feel like? What did you notice? Oh, you discovered that more prayer is needed in these circumstances. That, that's wonderful that you've discovered that. We see Jesus... Um, in plunging people into experiences of servanthood, you know, throwing the disciples out there. Why don't you see if you can feed the crowd of 5,000? And this stretches them then and builds their compassion for the crowd and, and, and opens them to divine intervention to help them close the gap between the needs they see and the, the resources they appear to have. We see Jesus uh, stopping along the roadside so often to talk with people. In fact, it was maddening to his handlers. Jesus, in some ways, was, was like a, a first century politician where, where one would naturally think the big uh, task was to, to get out there and, and press the flesh and touch as many people as he possibly could. And, and yet we see him rushing through Jericho one day. He's heading up towards Jerusalem, a huge crowd of people around him. And, and the disciples must be going, isn't this great? Look at all the public exposure we're getting. And Jesus calls a time out and he looks up into a tree and he pulls a man down out of the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, let's do lunch together today. Let's just, let's just talk together today. And that encounter continues a pattern of, of the work of God in the life of Zacchaeus that takes a man who's been a selfish but genius financier and turns him around and helps him to become an agent of the kingdom of God in a very dramatic way. This is not unusual for Jesus. He's always doing this. He's walking through Sychar, and the disciples are hungry, and they say, let's go into town. And he says, you guys go in there, find something to eat. I see something down the road. I'm going to wait here. And he spots this woman walking in the heat of the middle of the day, coming towards the well at Sychar. And he has a conversation with her and creates a sense of safety for her to confess what's really going on in her life. He creates a home for her. And she becomes the agent through which the entire village comes to Jesus. I could go on and on and on with stories of how intentional Jesus was about these things. We see him sitting for long periods of time 
with people, telling stories, drawing out of them their stories, their questions, engaging them in discussion about God's design for their lives or God's call, how God wants to use them in life and, and in the world. This was not an accidental pattern with Jesus. It wasn't an incidental. It was an extremely intentional set of behaviors that Jesus employed uh, for the sake of the people around him. So these are the kinds of behaviors that transform a mere house or a mere office or a mere church or a mere coffee shop or a mere athletic field conversation into the kind of home where people truly flourish. Think about it. Jesus never uh, got married as far as we know. Uh, Jesus never uh, gave rise to a biological family uh, from his own loins, as far as the scriptures tell us. Uh, and yet, who has done more to create family, to create community, to extend blessing than Jesus Christ? Uh, he created a zone of, of security and direction, a place of gracious refuge, a circle of loving nurture wherever he went, and an amazingly diverse range of people felt like they could come close to him. They flocked to Christ as if drawn by their true north. To be with Jesus was to be where your heart could be at rest. And he said, it's going to be like this. He says at one point to his disciples, anyone who loves me will put my teaching into practice. If you love me, please keep doing the things I've been doing for others. Please do this. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will make our what? Our home with them. Our home with them. I've been going pretty fast, and I've been hitting you with a lot of ideas because I'm trying to lay out for us today a basic biblical foundation for the immensely important discussion that we are having in this time. And I want to just try and tell you why we're having this conversation in our time, and I'm going to be very blunt about it. We have got a lot of houses and offices and coffee shops and religious buildings across the American landscape today, but too few real homes. We have got more social media than ever, and yet every study tells us that we are more lonely as a people than ever charted before. We have some of the most luminous creative people, fashion designers, world-famous chefs and raconteurs, who beneath the surface of their life are suffering terribly with mental health issues and other kinds of issues, who, who don't have obviously a place where they can be fully safe in processing all of that and find the help that they need. We have an unprecedented level of affluence, but too little practical, hands-on influence over one another's lives. Many marriages and families are highly busy, active, impressive, but not particularly connected. Circles of people who could be home for one another are, uh, are actually within inches of each other, but are more locked into what's happening on the screen than they are into what's happening in the heart of the person right next to them. I know you see this all the time. You're maybe part of this as I am. 
More significantly, research makes it clear that, that American Christians are not successfully embodying the values of the Christian faith in a way that embeds that vision of the Christian faith in the lives of their own children. We're not successfully passing on the faith at the level and the rate and the depth that we need to to ensure the thriving of the church of Jesus Christ that is essential to the flourishing of people's lives in our culture today. And the main reason for this is because we're just, I'm gonna be blunt again, we're just not being intentional enough about investing the time that is needed to do the kinds of things that Jesus regularly did with people and that previous generations did with the young ones that they wanted to inter, uh, influence very significantly. And if this feels challenging to you, let me tell you, it feels challenging to me because I have been far from a perfect parent myself along the journey. But in this series, we're trying to challenge ourselves. We are gonna push all of us into maybe a little bit of a discomfort zone in thinking about this and thinking about all of the kinds of people we have in our lives, even beyond our households, who need an experience of home so desperately, so very desperately. You and I are passing these people by in almost every single context of life. Just think of what a kindness it would be if you could somehow help even a few more people experience the blessings that come with a genuine experience of home. I want to narrow the focus just a little bit for the purpose of our conversation in closing today. And I want to tell you that one of the most strategic target groups for offering this kind of blessing, simply because I've mentioned a moment ago, it has such giant ripple effect implications for the future of family life and American life. One of the most significant target groups in the creation of home has to be kids. It just, it just has to be children that, that get a special focus in our life. Of all of the people that Jesus wanted to see experiencing a sense of home, none figured more highly than children. Christ's emphasis on this was actually surprising in his time. Luke's gospel describes a moment when, and I quote, people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. This was not normal. Religious people, rabbis, were not considered people that you would trouble by bringing your kids to. You know, kids, we know kids, we love kids, but, but, but they can be noisy and sticky-fingered and messy and boundaryless and all over the place flailing, you know? They, they, they can be, and, and it was thought in the first century that you did not bring those kinds of people around important people, especially religious people. In fact, you could even make them ritually unclean by, by tainting them with the presence of those kinds of, of little people. So when Luke's gospel uh, goes on in the story, it says when the disciples saw this, that people were bringing their children to Jesus to have him lay his hands on them, they rebuked them. They said, please, don't. The rabbi doesn't have time for this. <laughs> Wait till they grow up and are a little more civilized. Then bring them to church. But there were people in that day, the scripture makes clear, 
that thought it was a very good idea to even fight through resistance to bring their children close to Jesus so that he could lay his hands upon them. And so Jesus, the scriptures say, called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. He's rebuking his disciples now. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Who's Jesus talking to here? His best disciples. And he's trying to say to them, wake up. There's still something we gotta prioritize. Please don't hinder these little children. If, if there's anyone who I want to experience a sense of belonging in the kingdom of God and to learn the ways of their spiritual home, it is children. It's children. I, I think of the boy who attended the baptism of his baby brother in church and uh, he was heading out of the church and he began to cry and he got into the car and he began to cry even harder and he was crying all the way home and his father was saying to him, Johnny, what's wrong? Three times he asked him, Johnny, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? And finally the little boy confessed, oh, dad, the pastor says that he wanted to see me raised in a good Christian home, but I want to stay with you guys. There is not a home, there is not a household that won't benefit from some more adjustment to become an even better kind of Christian home. Uh, and we don't need to be ashamed of that. We just need to support each other in that and keep going on this journey. Uh, because there are some not yet fully following Christ people within our circle of influence. Again, not just our household at home, but our, our workplace and our social circles and, and the like. And Jesus is saying in effect here, whatever you are doing, and he's speaking specifically to the case of children, whatever you're doing that is hindering children from getting close to me, stop that. Whatever you, is in your schedule, whatever you've got on your priority list, whatever you've got in your attempts to try and get along and, and, and fit into the ways of the world that is hindering children from coming close to me, stop it. Adjust it. Reform that. Refocus your energy and time for the kingdom of God is for these kids. And then Jesus goes one step further. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In other words, one of the major reasons why creating a home is so important is not just in order that kids can learn from these wise adults, but so that adults can learn from these often very wise children, something about the nature of the kingdom. I think of the story of the, of the child whose neighborhood was overswept with a terrible fire, and many of the houses were destroyed in the town, including her own, and late, it's late at night, and she's sitting out on the curb with her, her dad and, and her mom, and uh, they're just looking at the smoking ruins of what had been uh, where they had grown up, and uh, the, the dad turns to the little girl, and he says, I, I'm, I'm so sorry, honey, that that you don't have a home anymore. And the little girl looks at her father like maybe he's gone a little crazy. 
And she says, no, dad, <laughs> we still have a home. We just don't have a house to put it in anymore. Out of the mouth of babes. In this very room are, are children's workers and youth workers and very attentive aunts and uncles and some moms and dads and grandparents, maybe especially grandparents, that would beg us to stop and to pay attention to the little ones because they often see what we don't see, what we become too jaded and tainted and distracted to see anymore about the nature of the kingdom, the value of life, the true things of God. And so paying attention to these children is so important in our life. I wish I could go back and pay better attention to my own. But it's not too late. It's not too late for any of us. We still have opportunity for profound learning and for great influence, if not upon the kids in our families, then certainly upon the sons and daughters at whatever age of other people. There's not a person that you're going to meet this week who is not yearning to find their way home. They may not know that, but everybody is trying to find their way home. And you and I can do things that help to shape that kind of circle for them or find it in even deeper measure for ourselves. And what that looks like in practice, you're probably wondering, is the very best reason for you to come back here next week when we'll continue this story and dive into the mechanics of this in deeper measure. Would you bow your heads with me as we come before God in prayer? Lord God, you who are our ultimate home, lead us to those sacred paces, to those sacred places, to those sacred faces, by which your good work in and through our lives goes forward. In this week ahead, especially help us to examine our pace. Show us where we need to slow down or step back or lean in so that we can make a more intentional investment of time in those particular kinds of behaviors Jesus displayed with the people he did life with. Inspire us, Lord, with the reality that there may be nothing more impactful that we can do with our lives than to be a homemaker in the office, in our neighborhoods, in our houses, in our churches, wherever we go. Through Jesus Christ we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.